The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 148. It says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you stars of light. Praise Him, you heaven of heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded, and they were created. He also established them forever and ever. He made a decree which shall not pass away. Amen. up our hearts and our voices to you today as we have gathered as your people to worship you, the one true and living God, the the one who did create the sun and the moon and the stars and the heavens and in us. Lord, we pray that as we have gathered as your people, that you would fill us with your spirit, that by your spirit today we would worship you in spirit and in truth in a way that is pleasing to you and glorifying to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we lift up our hearts to you and our praises as it is true and right to do. And Lord, we join our hearts together now as we pray, saying the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to be reciting together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in the hymnal if you would like to read it from there. I'm going to begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell, and the third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty, From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from the book of Psalms, chapter 36, beginning in verse 5. Your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the great mountains. Your judgments are great and deep. O Lord, you preserve man and beast. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. O continue your loving kindness to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright in heart. Amen. As we continue to worship this morning, open your hymnals to number 55. We're going to be singing, To God Be the Glory.
be seated. And the children can come forward at this time for the children's sermon. Good morning, boys and girls. Good morning. Good to see you. Good to see you. Thank you. So, just never know who's going to respond, if they respond. So, this morning, we're going to talk about the part in the Apostles' Creed uh, that says that on the third day, Jesus rose again from the dead. What does it mean that Jesus rose again from the dead? He was on the cross, then they put his body where? In a tomb. And we, we say we believe that he rose again on the third day, meaning he, his body was actually in the tomb, right? It was there. And where does it say that Jesus lives now? In heaven? Now there, in us? Okay. There was a hymn that I sang, and I checked to be sure it's not in our hymnal. When I was a young man, we sang a, a song, a hymn, He Lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. Ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my heart. Is that true? Yes. It is true that Jesus promised to fill us with His Spirit. But Jesus lives in heaven at the right hand of the Father. If I say Jesus lives in my heart, and that's the only place that He lives, then that's sort of a shallow hope, isn't it? But if Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father of the living God, and is in heaven, whether I believe He lives in my heart or not, it's true and it's right and real. Do any of you know who Elvis is? Probably not. But there are people who believe. Boys, why don't you put your hands down right here? You too, Josiah. Put your hands down. Listen. You, you might learn something about a man named Elvis. <laughs> there are people who believe that Elvis lives in their heart. That he's alive. And do you think Elvis... I know you don't know who he is. But does Elvis live in anybody's heart? No. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. Elvis died like every other person except for Jesus. And Jesus doesn't just live in your heart. Even though he promised he would be with you forever. That's what He promised the disciples. We believe that Jesus lives and sits at the right hand of authority of the living God. When He rose from the dead, He actually was dead. But when God said, as it was said in the book of Acts, that the, the pains of death, the strength of death could no longer hold Him, He got up out of the grave of His own power and He walked out. Right? And He sits in heaven now and He hears your prayers. And the Bible says that while He's there, He prays for you. That is your Savior. That's who you hope in. That's who you confess. He doesn't just live in your heart. He is living in heaven. And He is the Almighty Son of God. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank You that it is true that the Lord Jesus, He did suffer horribly on the cross for our sins. And it is true that He was buried in a tomb. And it is also true that we believe by faith in the Word of God that it says that He rose again from the dead that He does sit at the right hand of the authority of God. Lord, I pray that You would be with our covenant children, that as they confess these things on Sunday morning, that they would think about what they're saying. What does it mean that Jesus is alive? That He did die, that He did ascend into heaven, and that You are there. Lord, I pray that You would help us to know that this is the same Jesus who we love and who loves us. And Lord, I pray that You would hold these children in Your hand and keep them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. This morning for our responsive reading, if you would turn in your hymnal to page 814. We're going to be reading Psalm 85 together. Page 814. I'll begin with the uh, light portion, please respond out loud together with the bold. Psalm 85. You showed favor to your land, O Lord. You restored the fortunes of 
You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your Restore us again, O God our Savior, and put away your displeasure toward us. Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? I will listen to what God the Lord will say. He promises peace to His people, His saints, but let them not return to folly. Surely Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. As we continue to worship, let's stand together and turn in your hymnal to page 529. We will sing Love Divine, All Loves Excelling. Heavenly Father, we lift up our hearts to You now as we join them together in prayer to be before You, our Heavenly Father, who hears us as we pray, the One who calls us sons and daughters of the living God. Lord, we confess and believe that this is not because of anything in us, but because of Your great love and mercy and grace that You have called us to be part of Your family, that it is not because of anything that we could do to earn Your grace or Your love or favor. It is only because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. And Lord, we thank You and praise You.
for Him today. Lord, I pray for Your people today as we sit in Your presence. There are many of us who have cares and concerns on our hearts. Things in our families that are going on and things that are happening that seem to be going at light speed that we're not able to grasp or hold on to. And yet our hearts and our lives are carrying on. And we pray, Lord, that You would be with us. I pray that You would be meeting the needs of Your people as You do. That in Your providence You would be giving special grace and favor in times of need for those who are suffering emotionally and mentally and spiritually. Lord, I pray that You would be very close to them. And Lord, I pray for those who are grieving, grieving the loss or uh, closeness of a loved one, either because of death or because of distance. Lord, I pray that You would be with our hearts. I pray too, Lord, for those who are struggling financially, who are not seeing ends meeting, and it has been that way for quite a while. I pray that You would be with them by Your Spirit, and that You would supply all of their need according to Your riches and in Your time. Lord, I do pray for Roger and Laura Die, that uh, two missionaries that we support here at Lebanon, Lord, I pray that You would be with them, particularly for their financial needs as we pray this week. I lift them up to You that they would be seeing Your faithfulness to them, that all of their needs would be met. And Lord, I thank You for our participation in their ministry by being able to support them here. That as we give our tithes and offerings, they're used for the sake of the glory of the Lord Jesus in and throughout South Carolina and around the world. Lord, I pray as a church, we pray for those who don't know you, who are lost, who are people that according to the Bible, it says if they don't know you, that they will go and spend all eternity in hell and that it's a real place and they will stand in judgment before you. Lord, I pray that you would make us bold as a church family, in our evangelism, that we would desire to see lost people, boys and girls, men and women, hear the gospel of Christ because we share it from our lips and with our lives. And Lord, I pray that You would use us, Your people, imperfect people as we are, to be a witness for our Savior in the community around us. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. I want to invite you to open your Bible or the pew Bible there in front of you to the Old Testament book of Ruth. We're going to be reading Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 this morning. We're now at the halfway point in the book of Ruth and about the halfway point in our uh, series Searching for a Redeemer as we study the Old Testament book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. This is the word of the Lord. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter... Shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore wash yourself and anoint yourself, put on your best garment, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down, that you shall take notice of the place where he lies. And you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down. And he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, All that you say to me, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly, uncovered his feet, and laid down. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. In the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, Naomi made a very strong plea with Ruth and Orpah that they would turn around and go back to the land of Moab and not follow her to the land of Bethlehem, which was her home. I want to read those words to you just to remind you what she said. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of a husband. Ruth returned with Naomi. She refused to obey the words of her mother-in-law. She went back with her to Bethlehem, to a land that she didn't know. And she actually vowed to Naomi that she would go with her, leaving her family, her homeland behind. And she even invoked 
Naomi's God's name, the God of Israel. She said, May He bring judgment upon me if anything but death should make us part. She called down judgment on herself. And what we've seen in the last few chapters is that Jehovah, the God of Israel, is the one who called Ruth, the Moabitess, to Himself. And she has been astonished by His grace in her life. And we've seen her be humble. We've seen her be willing to receive and to be open in a way that is remarkable and is humbling for us. And in fact, Jehovah has been working out all things in her life and in Naomi's to astonish both of them with His grace and to remind Naomi of His constant care for His people, even people who walk away from Him. He says, I will be faithful even if you are not faithful. In chapter 2, the Lord answered the first part of the prayer that Naomi prayed for Ruth. Naomi and Ruth have been well provided for by Boaz, a very close relative, as we saw last week. And this was not a small thing for them, for Ruth or Naomi. And actually, it warmed Naomi's heart in a way that it had been cold. It stoked to the fire of her love for her Lord in a way that maybe no other situation could have after all that she had been through, going to a foreign land and losing her husband and her two sons. She saw that Jehovah actually was the one who was working in and under and on top of and around her in every situation she was in. He had not forsaken her as she had forsaken him. He was with her. And chapter 3 opens with Naomi beginning a discussion. Remember in chapter 2, she had only spoken a few words. But here, as chapter 3 begins, she's the one initiating a discussion with Ruth. And it's the second part of her prayer in chapter 1, verse 9, for rest and for a husband that Naomi is concerned to have a discussion with her about. As we look at this passage, verses 1 through 7, I want to look at, number one, what security was Naomi talking about? Number two, Naomi's instructions to Ruth. And lastly, faith that stands up and walks. So number one, what security is Naomi talking about? And it's interesting the language that she uses because it seems that for Naomi, she's keeping all of this in the family. All of it in the family. It says at the end of chapter 2, maybe you caught it last week, that it says just very casually, very matter-of-factly, that she stayed and worked with the, the ladies of Boaz and stayed there through the barley and the wheat harvest. And at the end of verse 23, it says, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. And it's easy to gloss over that. But this is her real life. This is everyday life. She's coming home, not to home, not to a husband, but to her mother-in-law, to Naomi. And she's gotten used to living with a woman who likely she saw the real effects of depression and wasting away for a time. As she believed that God had abandoned her, she gets used to loving this woman and caring for her and bringing home the day's food and going out and doing the day's chores while her bones are already aching and she's dirty and tired. She's learned to love someone who maybe all the time wasn't so lovable either. This is a wonderful picture of love and commitment and family grace. Family grace that even extends beyond what you might say is required for blood relatives. This was a connection by God's grace alone. But look and see how it seems Naomi's heart has been turned in the midst of this narrative. In verse 1, she calls Ruth, my daughter. My daughter. Daughter was a term of love and affection. And for her to put my in front of it means that she sees Ruth as a close one to her. Look in verse 2, she talks about Boaz and says, He's our relative. It's almost as if there's been a shift in her mind and Naomi now sees Ruth as part of her family. And Boaz had no relation to Ruth apart from the connection with Naomi and one of her sons. But it's clear that Naomi's heart has changed. She's seeing her as part of her family. And maybe even a sense of responsibility has welled up in her heart to love this young woman who's in her home. And it's likely, and it's a guess, I don't know how old Ruth was, But it's likely Ruth is no more than in her early 20s, maybe mid-20s at best. And here is this young woman who she sees as a daughter and reminds her of her son. And she says, I want to care for you. And she says, shouldn't I seek security for you in the home of a husband? This word seek is almost, it carries with it the weight of a legal right. 
It's my responsibility as your mother-in-law to do this. Now, there was nothing codified in law that said Naomi had to do anything for her. There was no requirement that she had to go and find a husband or a home or some sort of inheritance for her daughter-in-law. But it's clear from her words that she's looking for a permanent home for Ruth, for the security that would come along with having a, a husband and children. Remember, she is not a young woman. Naomi says, I am too old for a husband. In chapter 1. I can't have a husband anymore. And she is looking at the end of her life and saying, I need to do something to help you. For all of your kindness to me and all of God's grace that has been poured out through you on me, I want to serve you. What a picture of active, moving grace in the life of a person who loves the Lord and who has seen God be faithful to her. It moved her. But she's also praying and looking for what we would call the covenant blessings of God's people for him. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's the same kind of language that Naomi uses here to talk about searching for security for Ruth. She wants things to go well with her. That was the same kind of language that God said to his people in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 3, that life would go well for them. As they walked in the path of obedience before their Heavenly Father, they would see life going well for them. I don't mean that they wouldn't go through hardship. And I think Ruth's life should enough be a testimony that life with God does not always turn out rosy. Things are not always perfect. They're not always nice. We go through losses. We go through difficulties and suffering. We are not immune to that. God doesn't leave that out of our lives just because we belong to Him. But what we have seen in the book of Ruth is that God is faithful in the midst of those things. In the path of obedience walking with Him, He cares for us. And He promises, just as the Lord Jesus promised His disciples, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And it might seem like, well, that's just a nice easy Bible verse kind of thing. Put it on a bookmark and stick it in a book. But that was something that Ruth and Naomi hung their hat on. They risked their lives on it. That God has promised He will never forsake His people. Do you believe that this morning, dear people of God? That God has not left you. That despite your decisions, despite the left turns and the right turns, the things that you have done in life, that God is still covenantally faithful to you. That He is the one who's provided. That He's the one who's taking care of you and your family. What security is she after? I see here Naomi is interested in planting trees. And you say, well, Pastor, you're going to have to help me with that because I don't see anything in here about trees. Well, give me just a moment and I'll tell you. I want to share a quote with you uh, that's attributed to uh, a man by the name of Anderson. It says, A society grows great when old men plant trees under whose shade they do not expect to sit. I'll read it again. A society grows great when old men plant trees under whose shade they do not expect to sit. I believe that's exactly what Naomi is doing here. With the last years of her life, the energy she has, she is hoping to be able to take care of Ruth. That while she's gone, when she dies and goes to glory, that she knows this young Moabite woman will be taken care of. This is not sentimentality. I don't believe it's that. I want you to have what I couldn't have, what God took away from me. Remember when she came into Bethlehem and the people said, Is this Naomi? She said, Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. Bitterly with me. I don't believe that this is sentimentality. I want you to have what I couldn't. Because God took it away from me. This is earthly security to warm your heart, Ruth, that your hope is in heaven. That the reality of God's love for you is there. The things of this world, the things of this life might shift a little bit. But what I want you to remember as you see God unfolding His plan in your life is that your hope is in heaven and that that is the home that you await for. And even if these things don't work out, and I'm going to try hard to see that they do, even if they don't work out, your Heavenly Father holds you in His hand. She wanted Ruth to remember that. If you still have your Bible, or you can write it down and look at it later, I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 11. I just want to read a couple verses to you. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, and then 13 through 16. I think this is the kind of faith that Naomi is talking about here. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. 
By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. And then verse 13. These all died in faith. It's just given the the great hall of faith in the other verses. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. I think she wanted Ruth, even when Naomi was gone, she wanted Ruth to ache for heaven, not for Moab. It's possible, Ruth, that what we seek for you may be like trying to hold water or nail jello to the wall. It might be that the security I'm looking for you may not stay until the Lord calls you home. But I don't want you to ache in your heart to go back to Moab. Your Heavenly Father will provide for you no matter where you are. Stay here with God's people and watch Him be faithful to you. I believe she was interested in planting those trees that Ruth could enjoy the shade under for the rest of her life. So that's the security that she has in mind. Now listen to Naomi's instructions, and this is one of the most interesting passages in the Bible. And maybe you were scratching your head or blushing a little bit as we read it. And think about the logistics just for a minute. I want to get those things out of, out of the way. It was the harvest time. This was the time of great excitement and rejoicing. There would have been feasting at the threshing floor that night. There was an air of energy and excitement. There would have been food, very good food. There would have been choice beverages there. And there would have been a lot of exulting because God has been faithful. Remember, this was after a time of great famine because there had been no rain. These people had not used the implements. Can you imagine one season to the next? So I've got to make sure the cutters are working. Make sure all the the rakes and the forks have all the, the tongs on them. But imagine going a few seasons and not having that at all. Man, it's so good to not have to go out and check that tractor. Imagine going for a while and not having any food in the cupboard either. There was rejoicing. I would happily, Lord, go out and work on the tractor or get the cutter working or make sure the rake is fine because You provided. People were exulting in God. They were rejoicing because He has given them a harvest to bring in. Naomi says to her, still speaking about logistics, Boaz is our relative. And it just so happens, Ruth, that tonight, of all nights, he's winnowing barley. There's some urgency. There's not really a whole lot of time that we see here, at least in the discussion, for Ruth to say, as she hears her mother-in-law's instructions, well, let me go pray about it, and I'll come back. Just give me a little bit of time. There's a little bit of urgency communicated from Naomi. You need to go tonight. And she tells her, wash and anoint yourself. Put on your best garments. And maybe, this is me reading in between the lines here, it's not in the passage, maybe what she's telling her is, Ruth, you need to take off the widow's garments. And you need to be prepared for the Lord to give you a new home. You have been here with me faithfully as a widow serving in my home. And I'm looking to see that the Lord provide you a new home with the husband that He has to give you. And that perhaps, you barren woman, He might give you children. Remember, she didn't have any children in the land of Moab. This was a prayer for fa- of faithfulness from Naomi. She was looking for God to show up in Ruth's life. And lastly, she gives one critical thing that's very important. You've got to get all the other stuff right. You need to wash your face. You've been out there working. You need to put on your nice clothes, anoint yourself, perfume. But this is critical. When you get there to the threshing floor, don't let him see you. Don't reveal yourself to him. And take note where he sleeps. Because when you do go lay down and uncover his feet, it would be awful if you uncovered the wrong man's feet. Make sure you know where he lays down so you uncover the right man's feet, Ruth. Pay close attention. Details are important. And if you have any concern about what needs to happen, he'll tell you. And those are that's the instructions. And what is it that Ruth says? All that you say to me, I will do. And so as we think about these instructions, it seems like a bit of a questionable strategy. It seems like Naomi is pretty rash with her actions. 
even in the Hebrew language, it's very suggestive. And almost every phrase that she gives in instruction to Ruth has or can have a double meaning. And I think there are three things that are particularly questionable about this strategy. Is she taking God's place? Is Naomi trying to take God's place? Is she stepping out of her lane and hoping to be God in Ruth's life? Let me orchestrate this so that we can work it out just right. It has to happen tonight. There's some urgency here. Some give Naomi a really hard time in in the commentaries that you would read. They give her a really hard time. And this, they say, for some of them, is proof that it wasn't Elimelech's idea to leave Bethlehem when they went to Moab. It had to be Naomi's because she's so brash and so quick to action. She's just got to have all the things in her hand. And if she's in control, she feels like life is on the tracks. It must have been her problem. That's why they left. But maybe it's not that. Maybe she sees all the things that are happening. The harvest, the rain, and Boaz, this near relative, and the blessing that God has given everyone to be at the threshing floor that night. Maybe she's looking at all this and saying, Ruth, I don't know if you can see this. I know you didn't know who Boaz was when you worked with him the first day you were out in the field. But it seems to me that the Lord is laying the pieces out in front of us. And all you have to do, my dear daughter, is walk in faith and God will be with you. The Bible doesn't say here. It is suggestive. It's open to interpretation. And maybe it is a little bit ambiguous on purpose. But it seems like a questionable strategy. Is she asking her to take unnecessary risks? Surely Naomi knows of the excesses that are known to take place at the threshing floor. And she does remember that Ruth is a Moabitess, a foreign woman. And why all the other language in chapter 2 and even chapter 1 about her needing safety and security? Why was Boaz careful to say twice, haven't I told my young men to leave you alone, to not harass you? And why would she want her to go at night? Of all times, she had just told her in chapter 2, you need to be sure to stay with Boaz's men and don't go to another field. Boaz even said, don't look at another field. I'll protect you. I'll take care of you. And here is Naomi, her mother-in-law, this one who's calling her my daughter and talking about faithfulness and who's prayed for. And she's telling her to go do this at night. This risk was actually real. I'm not trying to build something up so that you get a sense of being scared. This was real for Ruth. She was walking out at night in a time when she was not necessarily an accepted member of their society by everyone who was there. But it's also true that this isn't 21st century Hollywood either. And there's a difference between a woman making herself be attractive and a woman being seductive. What you don't see Naomi telling her is to try to go sit on his lap and wake up intentions in his mind and his heart that someone else might try to do. She's not saying suggestive language either to go and do things to try to to catch him right when he's drunk. And it doesn't even say that he actually did get drunk. said that he had something to drink, but it doesn't say that he collapsed on the pile of grain because of the excess. But it says that he did lay down there. So we do have to kind of unthink some things because of the day that we live in when we read passages like this in Scripture. This is not a Hollywood movie. Lastly, questionable strategy. And maybe this shouldn't be lost on us, even in the day that we live in. She's telling Ruth to go and propose to Boaz at night. This is what it meant for her to go and uncover his feet and lay down. And pay careful attention to the detail. She says, go and uncover his feet and lay down there at his feet and he'll tell you what to do. It doesn't say cover yourself back up when you lay down. Leave his feet uncovered. Logistically, it's important. If your feet are uncovered at night, sometime at some point in the night, you're going to wake up. Man, my feet are cold. And we'll see next week in the passage that we're reading that his feet were cold. He woke up and there's somebody here in my bed. That's exactly what Naomi wants to see happen. It's maybe for us too unconventional. It's too forward. Women shouldn't do that. But here we see some urgency and some desperation on Naomi's part. And we really do have in this passage more questions than answers. Why didn't Boaz take action like this? This, he's got a big harvest. He's got plenty of people to work. Why is the man who owns the field here at the threshing floor on this night? Why wouldn't he have taken action? If he was really interested in Ruth, why wouldn't he have taken action? Why didn't he propose? Or why didn't the other man who was the closer relative propose? Why does it seem that the men are stuck in neutral? 
It seems like they are, but we have more questions than, than answers. Naomi saw this as the pass, as the path forward, the way to break the impasse. And it's important to note here, maybe to write this down even if you're taking notes, that the Old Testament many times is descriptive, not prescriptive. And what I mean by that is, young ladies, young men, the Bible is not here telling you how to find a husband or a wife. It is simply telling you the story of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. It's not saying that this is how you propose and here are the steps to go do it. And couldn't you even understand some objections from Ruth herself? And it made me think, can you imagine if you were walking through Bethlehem this night or this afternoon? Work's been done. She's already back home. And here comes Naomi. And she's got this idea. Can you imagine walking past the windows or the doorway to this house? Can you? It wouldn't be so hard to imagine that Ruth might even raise her voice a little. You've got to be kidding me. You want me to do what? You've been quiet this whole time. Chapter 2, I told you I was going to go out and work in the fields and you didn't even bother to tell me which one to go to. You didn't give me any instructions on how to be safe or anything else. And now you have an idea of how I should have a husband? And this is your plan, this is the best you've got, and I'm supposed to just go do it. You wouldn't be surprised if that was part of the narrative, would you? But it's not. She just responds. And what the original audience had to hear in their mind when they heard this, what you might call, crazy idea, is what took place in Genesis chapter 19 between the two daughters of Lot and Lot as they stayed in a cave in Zoar. The two daughters said, we're not going to have a family Our name and our family's name is going to expire on the tables of the earth when we die and our father dies. We're not going to have husbands here. So they devised a plan. The older daughter slept with her dad Lot after they gave him wine and got him drunk. And the next day, they said, let's do it again. And the younger daughter, you sleep with dad. And maybe the Lord will give us children. And as it happened, according to the Lord's providence, they did have children. But it was an unsightly thing, a sin before the living God. And who were the descendants of those two acts? The Moabites. Those were the people. So as God's people heard this in the story, they thought, oh no, history is repeating itself again. And yet this time, one of the people of Israel who's doing it is Naomi who's seen God be faithful. Why in the world would God allow this to happen? The storybook ending that we're all rooting for seems to be hanging in the balance on a very thin thread. Naomi, don't mess this up. Just stay in the house and be quiet like you've been. You're going to make a mess of everything. But lastly, faith stands up and walks. This is not a romantic idea for Ruth. She's not saying, I must be loyal to Naomi. And whatever she says, I've got to do. I promised I would be. Or I can trust Boaz. He's a different man than all the other men that I knew about in the land of Moab. A place where God, Jehovah, was not on the throne. Where people didn't honor Him and worship Him and love Him. These ideas might sound really good. Loyalty to Naomi or trust in the godly man, Boaz. It would make a good movie, but these are not the motivations of Ruth alone. She's living a life of faith before Jehovah. She believes that He will provide. And if this is the plan that my mother-in-law sees as part of how God is working in my life, then I will walk in faith. And I will trust and believe that He is going to work this out. That it actually wasn't Boaz who had been providing for and protecting me. It's been Jehovah who I placed all my faith and hope in. And if He can care for me in the fields in the day, He will watch over me at the threshing floor at night. And He will put it in the heart of the godly man Boaz to not do anything that would harm my honor or His good name. In chapter 1, verse 16, she told Naomi, Your people will be My people and Your God will be Mine. I will walk in His ways and be faithful to Him. In chapter 2, verse 12, Boaz said to Ruth, The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. That's where she's living. She doesn't see her life hanging in the balance of decisions only. She sees herself walking the path of obedience with a faithful God who is with her and who is watching over her and caring for her. The question is, who is the one that Ruth has run to for refuge? As you read this passage, as you look at the book of Ruth, That's why I named the series what I did, Searching 
for a Redeemer? We have to answer that question ourselves. What is it that we're running to for security? Who was Ruth running to? I don't believe it was Naomi or Boaz. Neither of them, no matter their track record, would have been able to be enough for a godly woman to take all of these risks. No person on earth is worth that. It's just not enough. Nobody can bear up under the weight of that. A young disciple is here, as we see in this passage of Scripture, establishing a pattern of life, of trust in God. He will redeem. He will provide. And these words that she says in Ruth chapter 3, verse 5, mimic another young woman who was told a fantastical story and a young man who was told a fantastical story. In Luke chapter 1, verse 38, the angel said to Joseph, And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And what was it that Mary said when the angel spoke to her? May it be to me according to all that you have said. I am the handmaiden of the Lord. I trust Him. I have no other choice but to walk in hope and trust in Him. And that is the question before God's people today. Do you trust Him? Is He trustworthy? Is He a good Heavenly Father who will provide and care for you? Will He be able to help you keep it on the rails when life seems to be falling apart around you and when it seems like this is the worst possible plan? There's a word here about listening to and and appreciating and obeying our elders. There's also a word here for those who might want to rush into or out of a relationship. We don't see Ruth here running after young men or old men. We see Ruth here walking in obedience. And she willingly listens to her mother-in-law who says, I think this is a way for you to have the security and hope according to God's people by His Word in His plan. And she says, okay, I'll do it. This is how she's walking faithfully with Naomi, listening. It is a wonderful, beautiful story. It is a marriage proposal. And we'll see what happens next week as we look at the next part of this chapter. But I want to ask you this morning, dear people of God, who is it that you are trusting in? Who are you running to? And whose wild schemes are you following? And if there is something in your life in following God that seems to not require faith, I want to ask you to look at it and say, is this really following God or do you just want the God who keeps everything safe and nice and neat and tidy? There should be some risk involved in following the Lord, walking in faith, reasonable risk, where you see Him moving and asking Him to take part and lead and direct. It is not simply you being able to control everything. It must be a life of faith. That's what Jesus called His disciples to. Let us pray. Father, I thank You for Your goodness to us. I thank You for Your Word. And even though this passage today seems a little bit troubling to our minds at first, I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't try to read into it all the innuendo of our culture. Help us to see, Lord, how Naomi was loving her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And I pray, Lord, that You would call us into a life of faith, of being willing to take risk for You for the sake of the kingdom. Not for the sake of being risky or on edge or what seems to be fitting in our culture to just be laissez-faire about life, but really walking with You and going places that You lead us, even if it doesn't seem humanly to be safe or logical. Lord, I pray that we would have faith to believe that You can lead us no matter what the circumstances. And I pray that You would give us bold faith to follow You even in the plain things that You have set before us. That You promise to never leave Your children or forsake them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's continue to worship as we stand and sing hymn number 44, How Great Thou Art.
may be seated as we take an offering to the glory of God. blessings that you have poured out upon us richly from your storehouses of grace. We thank you now to be able to return to you a portion of what you have so graciously and generously given to us in our tithes and our offerings. Lord, we commit them to you for the sake of the spread of the gospel and the lifting up of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that lost people might hear the gospel, be taken out of the kingdom of darkness and put into the kingdom of light according to your great love and favor. And it is in the Lord Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. will meet briefly just in the parlor after our worship service. Receive the benediction of our Lord. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Amen.